Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary. I'm your host, Kyle Gould, and today I'm overjoyed to have the opportunity to speak with three wonderful human beings on the production team for the exciting forthcoming production of We Are Pussy Riot by Holy Fools Theater. So let's do some introductions. Why don't we start on my left? Okay, my name is Leanne Million. I am the producer and a performer in the show. Wonderful. And I'm a co-artistic director of Holy Fools Theater. What is Holy Fools Theater if you're the co-artistic director? Well, I believe that theater can be activism. And Mira chose this play alongside her assistant director, Nathan, I believe because it meant that to them as well. And so we're very much aligned in that way. Theater that has more purpose behind it than entertainment to me is fascinating and exciting and what I'm passionate about. Although, you know, there's a place for all types of theater and performance, of course, not to take away from anything else, but I like to see something a little bit different, a little bit avant-garde, pushes your boundaries, asks something of you. Cool. What got you into community theater? Oh, man, that's a long story, Kyle. (laughs) We don't have time for that. But um, back in the 80s, I started performing and got bit by the bug, went to university, got my degree in acting at the UFC and went into education so I could support myself. (laughs) And since then, I've had my own theater company for six years, Foxglove Theater, back in the early 2000s. And since then, I've been mostly performing. And now I'm back in the producer role. That's cool. Yeah. You may have seen Leanne last as the Cat Award nominated Mrs. Robinson in Morpheus's The Graduate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was the last time I was in my underwear on stage. (laughs) (laughs) And I get to do it again in this show. Yay. You've got a type. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And who's sitting next to you? My name is Nathan Isles. I'm the assistant director of We Are Pussy Riot, or Everything is PR. I'm also writing some music for it, and I was uh, involved in the programming of it a while ago. (laughs) It's a lot behind it. And now I'm here talking to you about it, so I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) That's great. What got you into community theater? I did theater school about 10, 11 years ago, and... Like when I right when I graduated, I did the I did like an acting performance diploma at Mount Royal, which is gone now. And uh, community theater was initially where a lot of my calls came from before I got into any pro work. So I kind of started there, and then I moved briefly in the, into some pro work. Decided pretty quickly that I didn't want to pursue it professionally, but I was kind of attracted back to community theater because there was I found there was a lot more interesting work happening there, especially here in Calgary. And also, I love the community around it. I mean, it's right there in the name because everyone's there for the love of it, right? There's not a lot of money going around in the community theater world. So people are volunteering their time a lot of the time and their work and their passion. And so there's just, in my experience, far less cynicism in that world. There can be, anyways. You know, That's obviously with painting with a broad brush. But yeah, and so it just can't get away from it, <laughs> no matter how hard I try. So Fair. Yeah. And you, uh, gentle listener, may have seen or heard Nathan before as he is the director of Old Sad Songs from 2018 by Scorpio, another Cat Award nominated production. Woo-woo. Yeah, <laughs> I love that show. And next to you is none other than... Hi, I'm Mira Mashmeyer and I am co-artistic director of Holy Fools Theater and the director of We Are Pussy Riot or Everything is PR. That's pretty awesome. It feels pretty good to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Feels damn good. So how did we get here? Oh, <laughs> are you asking mm. me how I got here? Am I am I giving my spiel on how I got into community theater? Yeah, sure. How did you sure. get into community theater? I was just talking about this with my therapist, actually. I was always a kid and still am a kid with really big feelings all the time. And that hasn't always been easy or accepted by the world. And I think... Probably a lot of theater people relate to that because where I found that was accepted was in the world of community theater. My earliest experience was doing drama camps with Leanne Million over here at probably CYPT or something. Yep. And she's my aunt, by the way. 
Oh, yeah. So she was a big inspiration for me too into, in terms of getting into that. And um, then uh, I was very involved with the community theater in Houston, Texas, which is where I spent some time growing up. And uh, then moved back to Calgary and then moved to New York to do my degree in acting and then moved to Vancouver and then moved back here. And I will say every time that community theater has been a home base for me and a place that I've always felt like I could be myself and have big feelings and have that be celebrated. That's awesome. Yeah. And you haven't done much community theater, have you, here in Calgary? What have you, what are some of the the productions that you've been involved in? In Calgary specifically, I didn't do much community theater until I moved back from New York. Um, I had a brief stint of living here before I went to Vancouver and did theater there, but a lot of film there because there were more opportunities. Right. But while while I was here, I had a few shows for Urban Stories Theater. I did a few shows for Scorpio Theater, but mostly acting. I directed a show for Urban Stories, but primarily I was doing acting stuff. So I was in Summer on Fire with Scorpio. I was in... We uh, met doing Love Song. And we met doing Love Song. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you were assistant directing that show. Back in 2016, I believe. Was that... Was, were those the years? So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was one of my first directing opportunities. I assistant directed that show and Mira was one of the lead performers in it cool and you may have seen mira in the very funny but not a hit youtube show formal complaint hell yeah <laughs> it is Deep very cut. funny I love it. <laughs> yes. yeah yeah this guy does his homework i like it yeah he does that's awesome i googled your names people <laughs> yeah i guess they'll come up as uh people involved in theater oftentimes your names are easy to find and so let's uh let's talk actually about pussy riot sure. yeah what is Pussy Riot? Now, I've done my homework. I've done a whole bunch of research. I know what it is. I've watched the videos. I've seen all of the furor and whatnot of this very true story that came to pass. But uh, why don't I let the three of you tell uh, tell our listeners, what is We Are Pussy Riot? They are a punk rock, feminist, LGBT, protest group, movement, band, collective. They were formed in August 2011 on the evening of Putin's re-election to presidency in Russia, which I always think back to the election of Donald Trump and how angry and upset and frustrated I was that night that someone could be elected who was saying things like, grabbed by the pussy and so i think i i wish i could have seen them form you know because i feel like there was probably a lot of that same anger going on and so they are inherently anti-putin as well and his relationship to the russian orthodox church in russia they formed out of a another sort of artistic protesty type group but this one i think specifically was very anti-putin and they wear balaclavas bright colors uh, the balaclavas are for anonymity so that, you know, as they were protesting and doing things that can be very risky, especially in a country like Russia, that it, you know, protects them to an extent, it seems. Uh, they did about five performances in total before they were, some of them were arrested. So they, the one that they did that we talk about a lot in the show is the one that happened on February 21st, 2012 in the Christ Savior cathedral which is like the headquarters of the russian orthodox church they were singing their song virgin mary please chase putin away and they did it on such beautiful lyrics isn't it yeah they did so on the altar ish of the cathedral which women are not allowed to go up there they were bearing knees and shoulders and things which is not allowed for women to be doing in a russian orthodox church they were escorted away by security before they could do much, honestly. Yep. And 48 seconds, 48 I believe, seconds. is what they got of performance in. Yeah. And then a few of them, three of them, were tracked down and arrested, put on trial for hooliganism and inciting religious hatred. So I think their lens on the ordeal was that this was some sort of religious hate crime, which yeah. Pussy Riot has never been anti-religion. They've always been anti-Putin. So our show follows this trial and what happens spoiler alert, one of them does manage to not be sentenced to prison for two years on a technicality. And uh, two of them were sentenced to prison for two years um, in the Russian prison system, which is not so great, just for singing some songs in a church. Welcome to labor camp, where labor is you. Yeah. And my understanding is that the arrest isn't as a result of what they did in the church for 48 seconds. It's that they posted it to YouTube and it caught fire 
and was being viewed and witnessed the spectacle of it. And that's what really brought the hammer down, that if they hadn't posted the video to YouTube, might have skated free on this. Might have. A lot of it, too, was about the effect on the Russian people, especially the ones who were there, Yeah, were being treated as the victims of this hate crime and how that made them feel. You know, there were a lot of comparisons being drawn to, you know, if they'd done the same thing in a mosque or something like that, right, that they would have been villainized much more, especially by, you know, Western media and things like that. But um, I think it was about the effect that it had on the people and their emotions more than it was about the actual act in it of itself. And I think posting it to YouTube only amplified that effect. Absolutely. And so a lovely lady heard about this, saw the video and decided to write a script. I call her Babs. Barbara Hammond. You're on like first name basis. You call yeah. her up on a Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> if I say something disparaging about the script, I'm like, oh, sorry, Babs. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Well, I mean, I can talk about programming it. Uh, I haven't had a lot of contact with Barbara. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to be the assistant artistic director of another theater company. And we were programming a season based around the idea of resistance because it was going to be our first season back since everything opened up, right? And so we had like three shows and we had a show addressing like historical resistance and we had a show uh, addressing fictional resistance and i really wanted to find something that addressed like the here and now like something really relevant to like right now and i thought that'd be a strong way to end the season and we found this show and uh it's such a powerful and relevant and and modern story right and and just as mira said there are parallels i think every day especially to anyone you know uh with a femme gender identity or or anywhere on the queer spectrum that becomes more and more relevant every day and so and miro is an amazing artist who i've wanted to work with more and and more and more ever since we worked together like wow almost 10 years ago (laughs) no don't say that a couple years it'll be 10 years But yeah, like Mira just came to mind immediately as as someone to lead it and someone who I thought felt would have a strong vision. We met up, we had drinks somewhere and just talked about it. Yeah, great local brewery here. (laughs) (laughs) My hope was to be the assistant director. I've always said like my my goal as assistant director has always been to bring more to the table for Mira to to guide her vision, like not at any point to impose like what I think because... I think that like her vision is really important for it, right? That production, there were some capacity limits at the space we were looking at because we had another wave of COVID. This was this was last time. 2022. Um, 2022. Yeah, yeah. So last year. That didn't come to pass. Uh, there was a chance to remount it. There were some complications there. And so now it's being done independently. And I've, I kind of weaved in and out of the process because my life changed. But yeah, and it's been a lot, a lot more communication with the playwright agency than with the playwrights. It's like with the yeah. with the rights holders, right? I mean, it's been a very smooth process working with the rights holders. And as far as I know, this is the only other production of it that's been done. I haven't read of other productions of it being done other than the original one. But I could be okay. Wrong. Well, it only came out in twenty twenty. Yeah. So there haven't actually been a lot of a lot of chances a lot of opportunities (laughs) for things to come out i can speak a little bit about barbara so the play was actually commissioned by a theater festival the contemporary american theater festival in west virginia and it was developed on stage at emerson college and then the world premiere was held in 2015 so that's what i know about Barbara. She's a relatively young woman and uh, works very closely with dramatists and uh, is part of their program of playwrights. So, yeah. She's won a whole bunch of awards for one acts as well as for writing. But yeah, it looks to me that We Are Pussy Riot was only fully published as a presented thing to go and acquire in 2020. So the final state of whatever it is, of what you're going what people are going to get to see in late June here mm-hmm. is uh is a very new thing in its finished form. So, who had the idea to put on We Are Pussy Riot? This guy. Where did you discover <laughs> it? The artistic team that I was a part of at the prior theater company. They are named Scorpio Theater. And so yeah, briefly I was I've always been interested in in getting into into production elements of running a theater company essentially and the opportunity arose they had a they had a change in artistic leadership and so I had the opportunity to be a co it was either assistant artistic director or co-artistic director I think it was assistant because I was pretty green with Mr. Dan Gibbons junior artistic director wasn't it assistant so, to the artistic director junior assistant <laughs> to the artistic director yeah with get uh, me my cup of coffee absolutely <laughs> with uh, Mr. Dan Gibbons as the artistic director you know a huge voice here in the community theater scene in Calgary 
it being so relatively, I wasn't aware it was published so recently, but that makes sense because it was, we would get a lot of script submissions and we programmed a number of the scripts based on that. But that was one that was kind of popped up on a website, like on a, on a playwriting website as a new exciting voice. When I was in New York, I was in the uh, drama bookstore. Is that what it's called? Hell yeah. And they have a whole new shelf of new work and Pussy Riot's there. (laughs) Like the the copy we have, which is pretty cool. And again, it just fit in with the mandate. We read it. We loved it. Again, I can't speak to other productions. Definitely the first time it's been produced in Calgary. And that was part of our mandate was doing something brand new, right? Something modern, something with a marginalized voice front and center, marginalized voices, right? And uh, providing a platform for that. It was really at the time we were planning on ending the season with it because it felt so relevant to, to now, you know, and it continues. We're coming up on a year and a half now of talking about it and then yeah, and, and just pitching ideas back and forth, Mira and I, and, and like the various changes in, in, in the creative team. But, you know, like it's just the story's just grown more and more relevant. It's kind cool. of amazing. Can I also right? add that you programmed it before Putin invaded Ukraine. Yeah. Well, the initial conversation we had would have been, I think, summer of 2021, which is where we're putting together our teams for the season. And uh, they invaded, what, March 2022? Like, it was right around when we would have been staging it, actually, which would have been absolutely insane. (laughs) But also would have seemed like we were doing it because it was, like, topical to the moment, which it is. And partly that is why we're doing it. But Mm -hmm. we're also doing it because it's relevant like right here absolutely right now absolutely right? yeah absolutely and it's such a performance creation piece and that's that's a style of theater i'm very passionate about where you know there isn't so much like a leading role or a leading person it's a it's a collective and and everyone is helping create and that's very much been the process kind of by necessity mm-hmm. as it's gone mm-hmm. more and more independent right it's really amazing to see it's really inspired me like i've had my my ebbs and my flows as anyone as a theater artist. But seeing Leanne is acting in the show and producing, and I think you're also working on costumes now, right? Yeah. And like, I was t- I was taking some headshots a couple of days ago, and like Mira's done everything. Like, I don't know. No wonder you're slumping. You've got the whole thing on your shoulders, right? Yeah. So was Mira on the docket to be the director from the get-go, or yep. did you have some discussions? What was going on there? Was Mira already, like, we'd like Mira to direct something and then went and found the piece? How did that, uh, how did that come together in that puzzle? With Scorpio at the time, we had kind of this idea of like a, a director's sort of development, right? Because a lot of the folks coming into it already had prior experience. But the idea was do a show, like assistant director show, which Mira had done earlier that season with a different production. What was the production? Guards, guards never saw oh, nice. the light of day yes. due to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Basically what happened is the capacity at the theater we'd be looking at, which was is the pump house. Even if we sold out every night, it was not, it was going to lose money. Right? Yeah. No, so, exactly. Yeah. When, when was guards, guards was supposed to go up? So that was going to be the winter show of 2022. Yeah. February, 2022. February, 2022. And so it was like January or so when we figured out that it was. Oh, so uh, this was, this was just like, during COVID, we're going to try and do something and it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, because towards the end of 2021 and going into 2022, the things opened up again. And yeah. then early in 2022, we had another massive wave because wouldn't you know it, everything opened up again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then they have had to put capacity limits back in place. And for, you know, like I also play music and with a venue, it's a bit more loosey goosey because people can stand and it's a bigger space. Right. But with a theater, it's assigned seats. Right. Yep. So, and the idea was we were going to put it in the larger theater, the Victor Mitchell, but we had already staged it for the smaller theater. So the staging was going to be all weird. Yeah. And yeah, it just didn't make sense. And that was the point also when I resigned as artistic director because I went back to school. I was like, I need to do something different. And I thought, I never thought Pussy Riot would see the light of day. So <laughs> so it's pretty amazing to even be sitting here and talking about it. But uh, so Mira was assistant directing that. And then the idea was the next step of that process is you direct something with an assistant director sort of there as your safety net. And so that was the plan with We Are Pussy Riot with me as the assistant director. Yeah. Mira was like number one, but there was like three names. You were kind of the youngest, like newest voice on the list. And that's why I was pushing hard for it because I felt it needed a really contemporary voice. And also I know Mira. So there's a familiarity there. And like I, I had an idea of what you'd do with it. And the minute you saw the script and we're talking about it, I was like, yeah, like absolutely. Right. <laughs> Great. So you saw the script. You started talking about it. What was it that inspired you? It just set my whole soul on fire in the coolest way, in a way that, you know, not a lot of scripts had. I think especially going through COVID, I was feeling really artistically like cock blocked because (laughs) everything that I tried to do ended up getting canceled or not being done in the way that it could have been done because of COVID and 
was with stories and things that didn't necessarily matter to me. I just wanted to be doing something. Mm-hmm. And this like mattered to me, you know, the messages and the chaos of it, the catharsis of it, the anger of it was something that really spoke to me because of all of my personal experiences that I've been through and became something that I got hungry to do because it was for me and you know that has always been the basis of my vision has been that expression of that that's within me and I found a team of people who have that same desire to express exactly all of that and that communal community force of us all expressing that at the same time was something that was extremely attractive to me and I had to do in my bones. Lit, That's awesome. lit me on fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're with Scorpio and you're going to do We Are Pussy Riot. But initially, because everybody knows this, it was supposed to be a co-production between mm-hmm. Scorpio and Cappuccino Theater. And now it's being done by Holy Fools Theater, which is Leanne's company that you're co-artistic directors of. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to talk about at all the segue from the Cappuccino Scorpio Copro into the Holy Fools production or kind of leave that one on the sidelines? I'll address it. And I and I've, I first want to say, you know, as much as it was a co-pro between Scorpio and Cappuccino, we really didn't have a ton of involvement with Cappuccino. They essentially put up the funds. Yeah, they had the money. They have the money. That, that happens and in Scorpio co-pros. Scorpio had the show. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the producers. So, yeah. Some people have the money and other people have the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's so, what I get that totally kind of there. After the fact that we talked directly to anyone. Directly to anyone at Cappuccino. Yeah. So, when I say what I'm about to say, I just want to clarify that the reasons behind our resignation from Scorpio had nothing to do with Cappuccino whatsoever. But ultimately, it was not a great fit between myself and the production team at Scorpio. And I mean, I, I feel the cast felt similarly. They did have some more space between them than I did. However, they did still feel the effects of what was transpiring. As much as I tried to save them from that, there was only so much that I could do. And it got to a point where, you know, it was affecting my mental health. It was affecting the quality of the show that I felt this show deserved. And so, you know, I had a very honest conversation with the cast about how I was feeling. And, you know, we realized within us, we had the resources that we needed to continue to do this show on our own. And I think there was that meta, what would Pussy Riot do conversation that was going on of, you know, would we continue to try to make this work to the point of our own detriment or would we take control and take power into our own hands and and do it on our own and um i think it really spoke to the trust that we have in each other as a cast and and some crew members as well that we all stood behind each other 100 percent, and we didn't know what was next right (laughs) because it was like okay i guess we're running our own theater company now too yeah and so there was a bit of a transition period when did that happen End of April-ish. Okay. Yeah. And uh, with the idea of then now mounting the show at the end of June and not having a performance venue yet. There have been a couple <laughs> of other companies this year that have attempted to mount a show without having a venue. And as a producer and a person who's only... I've only been around for nine years, guys. Not a super long time in community theater. But the first thing you get before you do anything, anything. else is yeah. the venue. Is the venue. <laughs> yeah. Having no venue means you don't have a show. Yeah, all we had were our trust and support for each other and love for each other and deep burning desire to make this show happen. And... Suddenly that was enough and pieces started to fall into place and it's happening. So it's end of April. Yeah. You're in the show. Yes. Right. You're cast (laughs) in the show. You're in the cast. Uh These discussions start happening doubtlessly because you're family, you're connected, you know some of what's been going on. Yep. When do you step up and say, I've got this, I'll step in, I'll be there and I will help however we need to help. I wanted to be in a version of the show that served it well. Yep. And so when Mira made her announcement that she was no longer able to continue, what happened with most of the cast, like myself, was a feeling of, yeah, we're with you because this doesn't make sense. What What's happening right now isn't enough. Right. And we don't even have tickets on sale and we're 
a month away from our performance dates and yep. what's happening. <laughs> right. So I felt abandoned yeah. and sad. And we had worked very hard. We were off book. We were really coming together as a cast. And Mira had worked really hard too in her vision of this show and what she wanted for us. So I couldn't, with the background that I have as a producer, I couldn't just stand there and watch it crumble. <laughs> it was like, it was a very devastating feeling to see all that work for nothing. So was this like an, oh, captain, my captain moment? Did you step up on the table? And <laughs> no, it was more, it was more subtle than that. It was like, hey, <laughs> I've done this before. We could do this if you want. <laughs> so is it the end of the rehearsal? Is it a break in the rehearsal? How late? How um, soon is it after Mira's speech? It's before. It Mira's, was before. Yeah. It was before the speech. I so knew, it, knew was it was coming, coming though. Yeah. And I think the toll it was taking on Mira was clear. And the toll it was taking on us too. As, as mm -hmm. the cast, our anxiety was it's going up. We were down. asking questions. Where can we get this, that, or the other thing? We're not giving any getting resources. So it felt like, okay, let's put this on the table as a possibility. Maybe Mira wants to continue in this fashion, right? And if yeah. so, great. And if not, also great because, you know, her journey is her journey and I honor that. So, so you presented her with a whole bunch of options. Well, basically the only option, which was my visa <laughs> <laughs> and, and me having yeah. her back as a visionary of this play and knowing that she's smart and talented and capable. Yeah. I wouldn't do that for any family member that wasn't in that position, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like money too much. So I knew that she had what it took to make the show what it should be. That's wonderful. It's also such an of the moment thing, right? Because very much the show ends and everyone kind of goes their separate ways, right? And some people move. We have a cast member planning on like moving. Yeah. Leaving the country, I believe, right? You know, there just hits a point where like the moment's gone. And so I'm really proud of, of Leanne for like having, and Mira, obviously, for being able to hold on to that moment because we have such an amazing cast and show. Like there is a show there, right? An incredible show. For it to not see an audience would be tragic, mm -hmm. right? The phone call from Leanne, you know, I'd really been wrestling with whether or not I wanted to walk away and trying to think about again, what would Pussy Riot do? And, you know, how far am I willing to push myself for this show? And it was pretty far. Um, and I really pushed myself very far. But then when she presented that option, it became the only option because she knew more than I did that I couldn't continue. Mm -hmm. Right. The cast knew that I couldn't continue with the way things were. And, you know, I'm so grateful for Leanne coming forward with that. And I'm so grateful for every cast member that's come forward and said, hey, I do this. Hey, I do this. Hey, I do this. Hey, I do this. And suddenly we had a team, right? Mm -hmm. So how much of the production team stayed from the Scorpio co-pro into this new version of the show? All of them, except for, I suppose, like production manager and dramaturge. <laughs> Because uh, they were Scorpio people. So your customer is still the same. Still Costumes. got the same lighting we, um, person. We, your we stage have, manager. We didn't have much of a production team. I was going to say. So <laughs> we had oh. we had a costumer. Yeah. Who is now assisting with costumes? Ooh, who's that? Mitch Bonato. So Mitch Bonato was the assistant costumer and is now full on doing the costuming for the production. No, flip that. Flip it. Okay. So what happened was there was a transition period. Yeah, of course. During the transition period, we were on hiatus. During the hiatus, we weren't in contact with Mitch or Scorpio or anyone because we were on hiatus. We were right. figuring out what next steps would look like and what was possible. At that point, what happened was we needed to make decisions pretty quickly to yeah. get the costumes. It's a costume-heavy show. Yeah. All those balaclavas got to be made. Well, it's multiple pieces for multiple characters. Yeah. Everyone has. And to clarify, we did not have any costumes yet Yeah, at all. Yeah. They had just been brought on. And yeah. it was too late. And it was in too late in the process. Yeah. So that's, it's nothing, it's not their fault at all. No, <laughs> no. So Leanne had to essentially take over and then Mitch was still gung-ho to help. So we were like, okay, yeah, let's, let's get your help. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they have experience with cosplay stuff that I don't have. Right. So that's a whole other set of skills. And within the team that we've now developed, there are multiple people who are doing double duty in the cast as well as on the team. Oh, wow. As Mira mentioned. And then we're finding our other people, bringing them in. We've, we had to find a stage manager, an assistant stage manager. Um, 
Who's the stage manager? Brady Hillman. Oh, great. I don't know them. Are they new to stage management or have they done a bunch of shows before? Uh, he's worked a lot with Storybook oh, before, okay. mostly in assistant stage management positions. Yep. You know, I think one of our mandates has become with Holy Fools and, and a mandate in terms of how I work as an artist is seeing potential in folks and giving them a chance when they've worked for it, right? And uh, I don't want to speak for him, but in his interview, he was saying he's done a lot of assistant stage manager work and has been trying to make that jump to stage manager. And so I'm really excited to be able to provide him with the opportunity to do that in a safe, welcoming, inclusive space where it's a safe space to learn. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And now he has an assistant stage manager, Veronique Tomlinson, who has done work in theater before has wanted to transition to stage management but hasn't been given the opportunity to assistant stage manage you know i think this is something that i see a lot in even the calgary theater community community theater where we don't give folks an opportunity to learn we always want to use those folks who have the experience because these shows are so important to us and we want to make sure that they're in the right hands and all of that. And I totally get that. But also, I feel like I don't see enough of giving people a chance who have that potential to prove themselves, right? Yeah. And the show is extremely important to me. But you know what is also really important to me is community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That's equally part of the vision. I think there are a lot of things that are happening in community theater that we just don't get a chance to see because we're connected to a specific group. subgroup of community theater companies. Yeah. I get a kind of over picture being the president of Calgary Acts because I get to talk to all the different community theater companies and I get to meet with all mm-hmm. of them and I know what's kind of going on in a holistic sense and a holistic level. I, I will say first time people are being given opportunities all the time. Oh, good. There are lots of community theater companies that are putting on little workshops for stage management, workshops for lighting design. Mm -hmm. There's lots of these little workshops that are happening. They're just, unfortunately, the marketing reach of any specific community theater company is just so tiny that it's oftentimes being missed in the giant melange of things that are being thrown at the Calgary Acts Facebook page, let's go, let's say, because there's like 15 posts there a day from Marlo Kaufman. So, (laughs) but that's neither here nor there. What I will say is what you're doing with Brady and with Mitch and others as they're coming in, they're bringing in new talents and new people and new joiners to this community, as well as seasoned veterans like your aunt. It's what creates that and allows us to have that longevity of uh, of a community theater group and troupe and production company and so hopefully what holy fools is doing with this show is planting seeds that will germinate and grow into future shows down the road too Mm -hmm. built upon the success of i think i i think i'm like personally triggered by it too because (laughs) i made that decision to switch from you know primarily acting to wanting to be in more director producer type roles and experiencing that resistance in terms of giving me a shot even though i do have experience directing in another city which is vancouver i came here and it's no one knows me right Right. nate knew me and he you know i'm so thankful to him for fighting for me and trying to give me that opportunity and i know that it wasn't easy for you for that reason and i truthfully that i left scorpio because i always felt like there was this oh we don't really trust you we don't really think you have enough experience like you know and so i think that's partly why i want to give that to other people because i feel like I haven't always been given that chance myself. And even when I have, there's been all of this resistance around it. And so, yeah, just speaking from my personal experience in terms of trying to break into that, you know, community theater is supposed to be the place to do that. And oftentimes I found it was, oh, well, you don't really have the experience. Okay, well, how am I supposed to get it unless you give it to me? Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, if your storybook, the motto is get them when they're young. (laughs) (laughs) so you will see a lot of i ain't so young anymore kyle exactly (laughs) all the people who are no longer young don't have storybook to build off of so we have to have those opportunities i think they are being presented i think that there are things that are really great things that are happening good but glad to hear that from your perspective production teams are built way before auditions ever go out Mm -hmm. way before a poster is ever made for a show and they're oftentimes the most important part because a lot of the work that a costumer does and a lot of the work the director and the producer and even the lighting designer does in advance of a show going up is way before the show goes up tech week is a great time for them to get to do all of their rehearsals but they still have to build the light 
program. They still have to build all of the costumes and put together a, a theme and a design and have those conversations. And unfortunately, it just seems like, uh, and it may be the case for all theater, that stuff seems to get pushed mm-hmm. as, uh, as other things are happening. And mm-hmm. still, it's not until the week of auditions that suddenly... Oh, yeah, we still need to get a set designer. Well, wait, what? (laughs) And something that I think is pretty amazing that maybe we haven't touched on is like just timeline wise. The original, original, original production of the show was canceled February of 2022. Mira and I spent all of 2022 kind of moving on with our lives. And like literally around New Year's 2022 going to 2023 is when we heard that, oh, we're going to it's going to be produced again. You should come back as like a creative team. And then from January to April was the entire process that and that was it's like a running train at that point, right? Yeah. Because any idea of a production team we had remotely come up with at that point, they've probably moved on. So we're, yep. you know, one and four. And then now we're on to the second production. An unfortunate casualty of that was our original stage manager, Haley Malent, who was moving provinces, right? right. And it just, it just didn't work out. And she was super supportive of everything we're doing. But, you know, and that's why it's been so amazing to get so many people and so, wearing so many hats. I resigned from assistant directing again for for like about a month because I was finishing school and I was just overwhelmed. And then right when I finished school is right when Holy Fools exists now, right? So <laughs> it's like it's it's been a lot of back and forth, but it's it's been really cool with just how flexible everyone is and just how like willing to jump in the fray and try something new. And then yeah, Mira and Leanne creating the space for that to happen because you know maybe it's not perfect, but like. Does it need to be perfect, right? It's. I think that's our whole motto. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to pretend to be anything the, that we other are Other than right ourselves, now. Yeah. right? Other than a bunch of people who made a huge decision <laughs> that we did not make lightly and went, okay, I guess we're doing this. Uh, let's go. And we're putting it together, you know, and, and not to say that it's being done with any sort of like haphazardry at all. Like, it's not like we're just throwing it together. We're doing it with love and care that it deserves and on a shortened timeline mm-hmm. and in a stressful timeline because it's, it's worth it. It really speaks to the cast. We only had to recast one member, right? Wow. Like, and again, that was just due to a scheduling conflict. Yeah, because yeah. they would have been 100 percent in if it if it wasn't a, a scheduling thing. Like, yeah. So just and it's a large cast, so just that much passion. How many people are in the cast? Twelve. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just like that much passion, being everyone being willing to jump on this tidal wave, right? I wouldn't blame anyone for being like with no this guarantees. Is, with oh, no guarantees. Performance right? venue, like yeah. I mean, we had a rehearsal space set up pretty much immediately which was incredible but we locked in a venue last week i think right we or slashed yeah. our budget in <laughs> half right like but the budget was never what mattered about this show and the fact that everyone went that's worth it it's worth taking this risk mm-hmm. for me for the show for each other was i've never felt anything quite like it wow it's the show coming to life most of it comes from here i remember when around new year's when i first heard about being produced again i was skeptical if i even wanted to be involved because i was just so busy and it was i remember you and i had a conversation just just you and me after that initial meeting where we were like this is really sudden like this is really we mm-hmm. you know you you pushed aside a trip for it i believe i gave up a free trip to europe yeah that would have been <laughs> happening right now that leanne's husband is on instead of me you have <laughs> You have an assistant director. You could have just taken the trip. We were supposed to go up yesterday. Yeah. Right. And it no, would have been I, during I, that. Yeah, that's, but. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And it was a real leap of faith for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Particularly Mira and myself, I guess, but uh, and Nathan as mainstay of the production team. Because we didn't have a venue, we were gambling on what we wanted coming to fruition. Yeah. And Mira did her research and she did her homework and she did her due diligence there. And ultimately in getting a venue. Tell me the story. Well, when I was a teenager, I ended up attending United Church youth groups and sort of alluded to before, I've always been a bit of a strange kid. And that was another place where I felt very accepted, included and welcomed, which is not something that I had expected from a a church environment. I was closeted at the time and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I was scared about what the church might think about that type of thing. And that's actually where I became the person who I am today because I felt accepted there and they accepted me for everything that I was, even though I didn't necessarily subscribe to the divinity of Jesus and whatnot. I was still baptized into the church because they accepted me and they loved me. And I'm so glad I made that decision because now I'm a United Church member and I was able to go to them and say, I always envisioned this show in a church. They Pussy Riot performed in a church and that's what they got in trouble for. 
And that was my set was a church. We have no budget anymore. So we were going to transform the Joyce into a church. <laughs> now, can we just simply use a church? Right. I don't need to get pews. There are simply pews. And so I went to them with this and I and I said, you know, I, I think this is an opportunity to practice what you preach, which is that they are liberal. They support the LGBT community, right? Like this is what they say. And, you know, we found this church, St. David's United Church, um, which was not one of the ones that I spend any time at, but, you know, still is, is the same ideologically. And they went, yeah, this is allyship in action. 100%. Let's do this. It will make people uncomfortable. And great. And I was like, yes, this is what we need. You know, this is what yeah, we need. And we all look to Leanne because that's what she wants out of Holy Fool's Theater is. We're going to make people uncomfortable. And that's okay. You know, we can it be is. uncomfortable a little bit. Maybe we'll grow. Maybe we'll learn. And St. David's is so behind that. And I'm so thankful to them. And they, like maybe, so many people have come in, in key for this, Leanne being one of them. And then St. David's falling into place too, you know, was another one. And so that's great. I was able to leverage some of those contacts and, and you know, come to them with this idea of like, you've supported me. I want to support you too, right? Like this is for you too. This gets young people in your doors. It, it shows them, hey, this is a place where you can come and you can feel safe and you can feel welcome and you can feel included just like I did. Wow. And so, you know, it's become part of the vision, which is so, ah, it's badass, man. It is, it is badass. <laughs> and, ah! uh, and I come from a background of sort of, I don't really know what I am except spiritual person. And I'm generally anti-church. Okay. And so I came to this vision of moving into a church kind of with some nerves and some trepidation myself. And Mira was very clear that she felt comfortable with the United. And I was like, great. Let's focus there and all that stuff. So we did. But even going through their doors, we went to the venue. They have rainbow benches outside. They have a two gender neutral bathrooms labeled as such in the lobby. Their affirming board is front and center in the lobby. Mm -hmm. They have a pride flag in the sanctuary, <laughs> yeah. like next to the altar. They, they have a rainbow, rainbow candle. candle. <laughs> yeah. And a, and a dream catcher candle mm -hmm. on the altar. Like I, I was looking for signs that this was what Mira thought it was and and I got them. And not only that, but speaking to the woman who manages the, the building and the events, she was amazing with us and just oh, so yeah. generous. And they're just being very kind and sponsoring us in a lot of ways. So yeah, phenomenal. Because yeah. we don't have budget. a lot of money. And yeah. they were like, no, this no, is no. important to us. Leanne's visa card only goes so, so far. far. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just I can't believe it. And it, it makes things so much easier too that it's already in a church. We don't have to so great make it a church. It just it, it just is. Yeah. One well, church, it's just it's uh churches are amazing performance spaces, right? They're uh, amazing performance the, spaces. And I mean, like the acoustics are amazing. Obviously, I think I heard that there's an organ like in the room, so like oh yeah, you know, people's voices. We got an are organ, gonna, we got a piano, we got a harpsichord. You have so much there. The lighting's there. It's it could be really cool to in some kind of utopian future see a lot of these spaces utilized in this format because a lot of the gear that's like really important for this kind of thing is all there it's already <laughs> it's there. All there yeah it's waiting to be you used you don't realize that a performance is happening there every single sunday every single yeah, sunday there that, is. exactly yeah. right and there are churches out there like the united church yeah. that are uh, ideologically on the same page right but you know in, in many ways like jesus himself was a revolutionary right he would have been pro pussy riot and I'm using imagery in the show of jesus on the cross wearing a neon balaclava Right. Because he was the pinnacle of welcoming and inclusivity. And, you know, like, like I said before, it's not that I, I believe in any of it, but I do feel on the same page with those values. Right. Which is what has attracted me to to this church specifically, because they went, yeah, I don't care if you don't believe in its religiosity. Like if you're on the same page that we should be loving and welcoming to everyone and treat everyone with compassion and kindness, then like you're welcome here. You know, and that's nice. That's yeah. a perfect space to be doing this specific show in because that's the message. I can't wait for the the people that go to that church to see this show. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll awesome. love it. The I minister's a hundred percent behind it. She's what are, jazz. She's very what are they excited. gonna love about it? Oh man. It's immersive. The opportunities there to use the entire sanctuary as our performance space are are there. Yep. And there's an opportunity to participate, of course. 
with it, consent. It's it has optional. a nuanced conversation about yeah. religion. A lot of perspectives are are present in the script. There's a lot of pride in like Russia's Orthodox history mm-hmm. laced into the script in a really genuine way, as well as criticism of it, right? We should be able to critique institutions that even that, you know, we feel a huge part of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone with an open mind will see that it's not just a screw this place. Like we're going <laughs> to, yeah, we're definitely not going to spray paint on the walls or anything. And, oh, you know. <laughs> no. My vision for it has always been that the audience is just as important as the actors in terms of having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And there is not a separation of us and them. They are part of the show. The show is very aware that it's a show. Babs and the way that she wrote it, you know, at the end of the show. The actors introduce themselves by name. And there's a lot of quick changes in the show that I want happening on stage in full view, right? Like they're in on it, right? We're in this together. And so it's collaborative piece. And and I don't want that to scare anybody who I know. I know Mm-mm. so many people that are like, I don't want to participate. I don't want to go to a show with audience participation. That is okay. You do not have to participate. <laughs> And even if you're not participating, you're still part of the conversation. You're still equally involved in this, right? Like the, even in rehearsals, like, I mean, we can only go so far without being able to include our last cast member, which is the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so excited to get them involved. And I think they'll, there'll be some laughs. There'll be some tears. There'll be some opportunities for reflection and uncomfortability and growth and learning. And I hope that everyone leaves with one of the key messages of this show which is that anybody can be pussy riot you don't have to be femme you don't have to be queer you don't have to be anything other than yourself for these messages to matter to you the patriarchy affects us all and it's all of our responsibilities to fight against it and you can be part of that Mm -hmm. and we want you to be and i'll just add to that that i i see movements like pussy riot or even forming holy fools, Mm. these protests against what's wrong with any institution or system that's not functioning well are kind of the antidote to that internal existential crisis I think all of us are feeling these days and apathy that can just be so pervasive and damaging and lonely, lonely, right? And so when you come to something like this, it's not just a play. And it's not just theater. It's an experience that I think people are going to remember and they're going to feel affected by, I hope, and and talk about. And maybe they'll feel that sort of impetus and that, you know, resurgence of their own passion about making change where it needs to be made. I want to set their souls on fire just like it did for me the first time I yeah. read it. Where is it going up? When is it happening? St. David's United Church which is in the Redwood, Charles Woody type area over by the UC. Very near a train. Very near a train. <laughs> it opens June 21st with a pay what you can preview and runs uh, then after that 22nd to the 25th and then the 27th to the 29th and then July 1st in there is a talk back Tuesday. Join us for that. I understand those dates are weird. It's because typically you book a venue and performance dates and then you cast a show right unfortunately we worked backwards so we had to work around (laughs) we had to work around a few availabilities there um and then we were planning to also have to work around the availability of the church but they gave us every date that we asked for bless them that's wonderful yeah amazing so yeah that's why the dates are weird it's so we could accommodate our friends but there's a lot of them There's a lot of of chances, a lot of chances to come out. And yeah, the pay what you can preview is a chance for folks to come out who maybe couldn't afford to see the show. Otherwise, I think it's a minimum five dollars and more at the door if you want. If you can't, that's totally cool, too. Yeah. And we end on Canada Day, which is really interesting because Mira's done a great job in her design of our multimedia components, bringing in elements of North America and how we're doing in terms of human rights. Mm. And I think that's part of this conversation. It's not a play about Russia. No. Mm. That was one of the things that intrigued me about this play when I talked to Mira about it initially, because you said, this isn't about Russia doing a poor job in terms of human rights. This is about all of us. And what are we doing? Well, what aren't we? That was something that was really important to me with this show. And I think, you know, could be different than potentially other stagings of it. There are notes about accents and a lot of the language is written as if someone is speaking with a, a Russian accent. And I don't want that. I want the audience to see themselves reflected in the cast. I want 
us to sound like your neighbor and your mom and your and uh and your aunt your, my aunt <laughs> and um and i have uh you know through the use of projections and through the use of an original song written by nathan and joanna isles incorporated local calgarian canadian north american elements and bashing folks over the head with it at points i think to to make the point of like hey we're not in russia we're doing this show because it matters to us and this is why because it matters to us and it matters to us right now not in 2012 right now mm-hmm. it's really easy with a story like this because it takes place you know across the sea so to speak right it's easy to compartmentalize and be like oh wow that's awful right but mm-hmm. finding ways to ground it in the, like an albertan experience right especially with we do have a provincial election coming up right and um there's a lot of, of social issues on the line within that election you know and so just like finding ways to because so often i see theater and i'm like the people who need to be seeing this are not seeing this right now or and if they are they're they're finding ways to compartmentalize it right so i'm really i'm really excited to see how it's grounded even in like your song choice song or music choices right using Calgary artists and, and, you know, mm-hmm. the whole production team is Calgarian. And mm-hmm. as Madonna says in the play, we have a moral obligation to stand up for anyone being persecuted, whether they're down the street or on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this podcast, I would like to tell you that you have a moral obligation to go and see We Are Pussy Riot. If the heartfelt efforts that you've been listening to for the last hour were not sufficient to tell you to go out and see this production, please take it from my own personal call to arms to get out there and see it. If not because of the questions that it will ask of you or the questions that will bubble up of your own creation from having seen it, but only so that Leanne can pay her visa bill. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kyle. (laughs) The effort that goes into community theater is a whole society of effort from a myriad number of people. And we've only talked to three of the people involved in Pussy Riot here. There are Mm -hmm. 12 people on stage, two stage managers. You have countless people working on costumes. All of these people are coming together to give you something that is ephemeral and exists for just a single moment in time. And that's what live theater is about. So what I want from you, gentle listener, at the end of the day, is to go out and see this show and experience the hard work that these people are bringing to you. Thanks for time. Thank you, Kyle.